Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schindel. Today, we rub one out with the 1996 Genie Shack. Is that Shakini? Shit stained single ply napkin splat known as Kazam. <laughs> But first, this is a comedy podcast. If you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But if you don't care about spoilers and want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, come with us and write a co-rap duet with us. Without further ado, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. A troubled kid inadvertently releases a genie who must grant him any three wishes he requests. (laughs) They didn't try to dress it up at all, but, you know... Maybe put a little more effort into it. Yeah, I guess it is technically the storyline, but... (laughs) They don't even bother mentioning that they rap in the logline, which is pretty remarkable, by the way. (laughs) But anyway, this is a Touchstone Pictures release, so Disney, in other words, in association with Interscope Communications and Polygram Filmed Entertainment. Touchstone has given us some great movies over the years. This, indeed, is not one of those movies. From, from Christopher Nolan's breathtaking movie The Prestige, Dead Poets Society, The Help, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which was not directed by Tim Burton once again, The Wind Rises, Apocalypto from anti-Semite Mel Gibson, Black Hat alum Michael Mann's masterpiece The Insider, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Rushmore, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Spike Lee's incredibly well-acted 25th Hour, as well as Gangs in New York, and High Fidelity, a.k.a. my favorite romantic comedy of all time, are all excellent examples of what Touchstone can do right, amongst many, many others. On the flip side, there is only one movie they released with a worse rating than Kazam. Some movie called It's Pat the Movie. Oh, I have God. no idea what the fuck this movie is, but Kathy you don't know what is that? in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, remember the early 90s SNL skit with the gender ambiguous person named Pat? They made oh. a movie from that, of all things. Right. Well, that sounds awful. Yeah. Jesus Christ, that sounds awful. Yeah. But it carries, it carries a 2.7 out of 10 on IMDb and carries a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. They also gave us Mr. Wrong with Ellen DeGeneres, Corky Romano, the Jerky Boys movie, Holy Man with Eddie Murphy. God damn, we got to do a terrible Eddie Murphy movie. He's got a shitload of bad ones. In addition to Abandon with Katie Holmes, Sorority Boys, The Hot Chick with fucking Rob Schneider, which I regretfully remembered that my second wife was in. She's the hot chick before he turns into her. And... Ernest goes to camp. God damn it, Jim Varney had to come up during this. Interscope, of course, is part of Interscope Records. They have produced 65 titles over the years, beginning with Revenge of the Nerds in 1984, and most recently having a hand in producing the Oscar-winning Holocaust drama The Pianist in 2002. They also produced Mr. Holland's Opus, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and that's pretty much it for good movies. Their list their list bottoms out with Kazam as the worst-rated movie that they have done, but they also gave us such atrocities as Operation Dumbo Drop, The Air Up There, which is the white man, that movie about the white man who's in need of a promotion that Kevin Bacon gets sent to Africa in order to find a basketball player. I don't know if you ever saw that, Paul, but that's a, that's a pretty bad one. Which... 
which is also directed by the guy who did Kazam, by the way. Oh. As as well as doing Terminal Velocity with Charlie Sheen, Runaway Bride, Cocktail with Tom Cruise, which has a 12 on Metacritic, by the way, which I didn't know was that fucking low. <laughs> and the anti-Semite Mel Gibson slash Goldie Hawn action comedy called Bird on a Wire, which I shuddered when I remembered thinking about that movie. Oh, and the original Jumanji, which has a 39 on Metacritic, by the way, and I haven't <laughs> seen since I was a kid. Did it suck that badly? or? I remember being like really disappointed with it when i was oh, a kid okay. so i mean i just don't remember it it was like so long since i saw it when i was a kid maybe i gotta revisit that and see if it's <laughs> our final production company is polygram filmed entertainment which had some really interesting titles over the years lock stock and two smoking barrels one of the only two movies that i've ever liked from guy Ritchie. the funniest movie i think has ever been made known as the big lebowski the sobering French film La Haine, or AKA The Hate, which everyone should see in 2021 after the events of this week in America. The excellent documentary, When We Were Kings, about rumble in the jungle between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. David Fincher's badass movie called The Game. The excellent being John Malkovich, Sleepers, AKA the movie that Jason Patrick gets diddled in. <laughs> <laughs> Eraserhead alum David Lynch's deliberately cryptic movie Lost Highway, as well as Ken Loach's excellent war film Land and Freedom and Dead Man Walking, the movie that won Speed Racer alum Susan Sarandon her Oscar. Once again, their list bottoms out with Kazam, followed closely by the fucking purple dinosaur movie Barney's Great Adventure, which, uh, yeah. You know, did you watch Barney when you were a kid? No. <laughs> I think I missed that. A little too, I, I think I missed it a little bit, and I was always hating on it when I was a kid. Anyway, that and Power also... Rangers shit on that too. <laughs> <laughs> I hated Power Rangers, and I can't get up the courage to watch the one that came out in like 2015 or whatever it was. But <laughs> Brian Cranston. <sighs> Anyway, they also did Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson, which take, takes place during the Civil War of 2017. But anyway, side note, do you, do you remember a TV show that used to be on UPN called VIP, Paul? Nope. It's awful. Like, really, really awful shit. And I remember watching that when I was younger. Like, this must have been on when I was, like, 11 or 12 or something like that, just so I could see Pamela Anderson, like, run around in a bunch of skimpy outfits. But it, it is a dumb-ass movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, TV show. But anyway, Polygram also gave us Spice World, so we can thank them for that. And of course, <sighs> The Relic, which I fucking hate. Um, I know you I, like. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a fun movie. <laughs> Ten fuckheads were responsible for this reprehensible garbage. I only want to concentrate on two producers this week. Well, Ted Field has almost 100 credits to his name and some interesting titles. I think Leonard Armato and Robert Engelman deserve the most attention this week. Robert Engelman's top-rated film is the Wesley Snipes vampire hunter flick named Blade, which is fun and I do own it because it is indeed a pretty entertaining movie. But Bob also produced The Mask with Jim Carrey, the Wes Craven horror flick The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is pretty good, the unimpressive Mystery Men with Ben Stiller, Mortal Kombat 
Cat by Resident Evil alum Paul W.S. Anderson, as well as The Awful Little Nicky with Adam Sandler, Scooby-Doo with Freddie Prince, who, as a New Mexican, I disavow in the strongest <laughs> terms possible, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Mr. Nanny with fucking Hulk Hogan. Do you remember that movie, Mr. Nanny? Vaguely. Oh, God. I remember that he's like a nanny and he yeah. breaks chairs or something. That's about it. <laughs> it's, it's horrifying. But anyway, they also did from Justin to Kelly, a.k.a. the 14th worst movie ever made, and Food Fight, which I am telling you right now that you have to stop what you're doing, Paul, and watch the trailer for this animation flick. Seriously, take 90 seconds out and check this out. Go to YouTube, type in Food Fight. <laughs> Food Fight movie. I think it was 2011, if I remember correctly, with Charlie Sheen. Watch the trailer for 90 seconds. <laughs> Just give me your reaction, because, uh, yeah. I got I got some details on oh, that are gonna blow your mind. <laughs> He's dynamic. <laughs> He's dramatic. <laughs> He's the big dog. Next dog, is back in the house. That always <laughs> runs to the rescue. Uh, I still got it. <laughs> Charlie Sheen is Dex. When in doubt. Do the right thing with Hillary Duff. Listen, tough guy. <laughs> doesn't mean that I couldn't kick your butt. Eva Longoria. I've got a hot case for you. Wayne Brady. I'm your best friend, Daredevil Dan. And Christopher Lloyd. Somebody ordered I recall. <laughs> the Super Slick. Got milk. Do I look like the Dairy Queen to you? Super Sloop. <laughs> you! Clean up on aisle one. Is about to tackle. Yo, Dex! They're building an entire army. His biggest case ever. Let's get him. I do have an idea. <laughs> it's our food. I love his life. <laughs> it's a battle between the world's beloved <laughs> brands and the forces of darkness. <laughs> Watch the tail. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. Taste that. It's our world. It's checkout time. Great idea! Food fight. This makes 500 cases you've solved. What's your secret? Sponsored by... <laughs> <sighs> Alright, so Paul, the, the interesting... The reason why I brought that up is... How much do you think that that movie was made for? Just judging by the, uh, <sighs> the quality... The, of the animation quality. That looks like a weekday cartoon, like preschool cartoon quality from the early 2000s, which came out, what, 10 years after that? So, yeah. So, I would guess like 500 grand. So, if, if, that... I were, if I were to tell you that this movie was made for $65 million, what would you say? What the fuck? <laughs> Oh, Fucking post- financial crimes division of the <laughs> FEC <laughs> needs to investigate that shit because <laughs> fuck, dude. What the fuck? Someone yeah. stole a lot of money oh, from that production. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Leonard Armato, I want to admonish because he has only done this movie and Steel, another Shaq starring movie that is also on the bottom 100 in the 40th worst <laughs> spot of all time. Congratulations, Dickface. You fucked up and haven't worked since 1997. <laughs> this movie stars Shaq, Francis Capra, Ali Walker, and Marshall Manesh. Shaq somehow has 46 acting credits. 22 producing credits, three writing credits, and one directing credit, Paul. As an actor, though, I only want to talk about his movies, okay? He has never been in a good movie unless you count his voiceover work in the Lego movie where he plays himself. Uh, he was in yeah. Blended with Adam Sandler, After the Sunset with Dante's Peak alum Pierce Brosnan, Good Burger with Jingle All the Way alum Sinbad, <laughs> Grown Ups 2, The Smurfs 2, Hubie Halloween, again with Adam Sandler, The Wash, Freddy Got Fingered with the cunt known as Tom Green, Show Dogs, Jack and Jill, and Chairman of the Board with Goddamn Carrot Top. Yeah. He did, however... <laughs> if that's not the worst of the worst cast, like Carrot Top and Shaq in the same movie... He did, however, produce the 1994 masterpiece Pulp Fiction, though. Ha! Just kidding. He hasn't produced anything. <laughs> Look, his achievements as a basketball player were pretty fucking exemplary. But yeah. as far as the film industry shit goes, stop, Shaq. Please, for the love of God, stop. Francis Capra, while he plays a kid in a white family in this movie, is apparently Italian and Dominican. He, I, I will bring this up later. He was in 69 episodes of Veronica Mars, never saw it. He was also in De Niro's excellent directorial effort, A Bronx Tale, SLC Punk, which I think is awful, but people like it for some reason. I like that movie, yeah. <laughs> Frank with Jason Statham, Rampart yeah. with Woody Harrelson, and Free Willy 2 as a kid. Allie Walker, Max's mom in this movie, was in Universal Soldier from Deep Rising alum Roland Emmerich. Or, I'm sorry, not Deep Rising alum Roland Emmerich. From Deep Rising alum <laughs> Stephen Summers. That's his name, Stephen yeah. Summers. <laughs> and a bunch of other shit that I don't care about. Lastly for actors is Marshall Maness, or Manesh, who plays the extremely offensive and racistly <laughs> portrayed Arab character since Aladdin 2, a character named Malik. He is in The Great Big Lebowski as the doctor who tells Lebowski to slide your shorts down, please, Mr. Lebowski. <laughs> That's him. All right. Well, also, I love him already. <laughs> he is also an Avatar alum, James Cameron's movie True Lies as uh, Jamal Khalid, which I don't remember him in that uh, movie. Uh, he, was <laughs> he was also in the overly long shitstorm Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, the excellent Iranian horror film called The Girl Walks Home at Night, the decent Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, Surviving Christmas with Gigli star Ben Affleck, and Year One with Jack Black. This movie's story was written by director Paul Michael Glasser, while the script was written by Christian Ford and Roger Sofer. I'll get to the director in a minute. Christian Ford has written a bunch of awful shit I've never seen. All you need to know is it took him four years to find a job after Kazam. Roger Sofer, however, has written exactly the same shit, and I don't give a fuck about him either. But if it's important, they did do a TV miniseries called Category 7, The End of the World, Final Days on Planet Earth, Merlin's Apprentice, 
Infected and Throne of Elves, an animation movie. All of these movies and television shows, I have no idea who is in them. I've never heard of any of them or anybody who's in the cast, and I couldn't care less. This leads us to director Paul Michael Glasser. He's an actor who is famous for playing Starsky in the original Starsky and Hutch. That's his fucking claim to fame. But it took him six years to find a job as a director after Kazam. He directed a bunch of fucking middling network TV shows, but has not directed anything for TV since 2008, and he hasn't directed a feature since Kazam. He is, however, an executive producer on Shark Tank for 77 episodes, so if that's worth something, I don't know. I don't give a shit about Shark Tank, but I guess people like that show. But anyway, Kazam was released on July 19th, 1996 at 2012 theaters and was produced for $20 million, of which... Seven million dollars went to Shaq. So, side note, because I didn't put it in my notes here, but I just want to bring up the fact that Shaq, when they asked him in 2012 why he did Kazam because of how universally derided it is, he said, You need to take it into account. Like, I'm a guy who grew up in Newark who didn't have any options. And when they come to you and they say, Hey, we're going to do a movie and here's seven million dollars, I'm going to do the movie. <laughs> Which I was like, Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> Anyway, this movie opened in theaters in the number eight spot at the box office with a $5 million opening weekend. The only two movies below it were Disney with Disney movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame in its fifth week and the Arnold movie Eraser, which was also in its in its fifth week. Above it, however, was the Michael Keaton sci-fi comedy Multiplicity in its first week, the Lawrence Fishburne Defiant Ones wannabe action movie Fled in its first week in the sixth spot, the Peter Jackson directed The Frighteners in its first week in the fifth spot. Could you imagine those two movies coming out at the same time? Like, there would be no question that we would go see The Frighteners, but like, goddamn, what a fucking different movie. <laughs> Anyway, the, the Eddie Murphy flatulence fest called The Nutty Professor was in its, in its fourth week. The Denzel Washington, Meg Ryan, Matt Damon, Courage Under Fire was in the number three spot in its second week. The John Travolta telekinesis movie Phenomenon was in the second spot in its third week. And topping the U.S. box office this week was the most American movie ever made, Independence Day from Roland Emmerich in its third week breaking the $200 million mark this week. Over the course of 166 days, Kazam would conjure up a $18.937 million gross and would not open worldwide. This brings Kazam into the ranks of Super Mario Brothers in that the world did not need to see this abomination in its theatrical run. With advertising costs, this movie endured a $22 million loss for Touchstone during its release. This opening places Kazam as the 179th worst opening wide release movie of all time. Out of the 200 movies on the list tracked by BoxOfficeMojo.com, Kazam is only trailed by the bizarre Bradley Cooper Gordon Ramsay wannabe chef movie called Burnt, The Muppet Christmas Carol, and the Madeline Stowe is a prostitute touring the Old West with other prostitutes movie called <laughs> Bad Girls from 1994. I don't know if you remember that flick, Paul. But that was I something. don't know. I watched it easy. only because I was hoping that Madeline Stowe would get naked in it because I was wondering <laughs> what she looked like naked from watching uh, <laughs> Last of the Mohicans. But I was like, oh my God, Like she doesn't get naked in that movie and it's a real fucking disappointment. Besides the fact... <laughs> 
apologies this week as with no international numbers we do not know where this ass wipe known as johnny quarter slice is hiding in the world kazam has a frozen tampon popsicle of a 3.0 out of 10 rating on imdb with 23,048 votes a 24 on Metacritic, a shit your pants in the middle of a roller coaster disappointment of a 5% on RottenTomatoes.com with a 20% audience score. How is it, Paul, that no matter how bad a movie is that we watch, there's always at least 20% of the audience that likes it? Like, how the fuck is that possible? Like, it's fucking insane to me. Anyway, this Metacritic score makes Kazam one point lower than Jason X, where its Rotten Tomatoes score makes it a full 15 points lower than Cats, one point less than Geely, but still four points higher than Left Behind, <laughs> and a full five points higher than The Last Days of American Crime and Mulan 2. The IMDb score makes it the 37th worst movie of all time, one place below Jack and Jill, 39 places yeah. worse than The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage, two places better than Left Behind, and 12 places better than Cats as well as 17 places better than Geely. We've done a lot of movies off of the bottom 100, Paul, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this movie ranks highest amongst females aged 18 to 29 with a 4.2 out of 10 and lowest amongst males aged less than 18 with a 2.1 out of 10. This week, I feel like my brain must have been asleep for 5,000 years as I consider the 2,188 people or 9.5% of the vote, Paul, that has given this movie a perfect fucking 10 best movie ever made on IMDb. My rating stands with the 32.9% of the voters as vote number 7,594 as a solid one star. If I could have rated this a square root of negative one, I absolutely would have. Of all the reviews out there, I found two positive reviews this week, and I wanted to ride David Sturette and David Armstrong of the Christian Science Monitor and the San Francisco Examiner, respectively. Sturette cannot stop riding Shaq's dick when he proposes, quote, the plot is hamstrung by trite formulas, and there's too much violence and family tension for very young viewers. But Shaquille O'Neal is likable as the title character, though. Original score, three out of four stars. <laughs> Armstrong flates with, quote, The movie is decidedly old-fashioned, aiming to send kids and their parents out of the theater feeling good about themselves, end quote. Original score, three and a half out of four stars. Did he, like, give Barney's movie, uh, like, three stars as well? I'm sure he said that it was the best picture of the year. <laughs> My favorite reviews this week begin with Esther Ivorim from the Washington Post. Esther importunes with, quote, The movie producers could use a genie of their own. Surely, if granted three wishes, they could have produced a better film. Original score, one out of four stars. My favorite critic, the legendary Roger Ebert of the Chicago Tribune, Beshoes, quote, As for Shaquille O'Neal, given his own three wishes the next time, he should go with a script, a director, and an interesting character, end quote. Original score, one out of four stars. <laughs> Finally... <laughs> 
Finally, Marjorie Baumgarten of the Austin Chronicle adjures, quote, It's full of special effects that are big on smoke and noise, but short on logic and payoff. Scenes are sloppily edited as if to imply that the lower standards can be acceptably be palmed off on kitty audiences, end quote. Original score, zero out of four stars. Lastly, Kazam is rated PG for action, violence, and language. So, Paul, Willie Davis stands in center field. The three-time Gold Glove Award winner from Mineral Springs, Arkansas, is about to have a very bad day. The 6'2", 180-pound lefty was always a reliable outfielder and an even stronger center fielder. But the Greek god Helios did not look favorably upon Willie on, Willie on October 6, 1966. We stand in Dodger Stadium in the eminent domain land grab of 315 acres that displaced tens of thousands of Mexican-Americans <laughs> who had had their homes bulldozed, formerly known as Chavez Ravine, in the land without seasons, the smog-filled dump that is Los Angeles, California. <laughs> anyway, the Los Angeles Dodgers take on the Baltimore Orioles in Game 2 of the 1966 World Series. It's the top of the fifth in Dodgers future Hall of Fame pitcher from Moses to Sandy Koufax. You're goddamn right I'm living in the fucking past. <laughs> Stands on the mound. <laughs> Boog Powell, yes, Boog, as in Booger, Boogie, or some other awful variation of that, lands in the inning with a single. And Paul Blair started out Willie Davis down a road from which he would suffer lifelong embarrassment paul cracks a routine fly ball straight as davis is in the outfield but helios the greek god of the sun blinded davis and he completely lost the ball it landing 25 feet behind him this mistake by davis places runners on first and second sure mistakes happen and speaking of mistakes andy Ect Baron, nice name by the way, like a scrimshawing shrew, steps up next. Ect Baron smashes a fly ball to center, but again in Davis's domain. Davis, as at first, tripped over his meat, only to drop the ball after narrowly palming it like he was Jesse Ventura to another man's nutsack. Davis saw the previous hitter. Mr. Boog earlier score from second base as Blair rounded second and rounded for third. Davis decided to give, a, give it his all. He was going to hurl this motherfucker to third and tag Blair out. At least he could undo what he just fucked up. But for some reason, Big Willie suffered a bout of what can only be described as muscular dystrophy as he hurled the ball well over the head of the third baseman Jim Gilligan, allowing Blair to score. The Orioles would go on to score off another one off of Koufax and win the game 6-0 to and would go on to sweep the series. Look, I'm not going to blame Orioles winning the series on Willie Davis per se, but his actions in Game 2 were junior league shit, not major baseball player shit. <laughs> All of this because Big Willie Davis couldn't be bothered to realize where the giant thermal nuclear weapon known as the fucking sun was in the sky before looking up in order to attempt to catch. We flash back as you find yourself in Kofax's shoes. You think to yourself, God damn, I hope John Goodman makes a good joke out of me in a movie one day. Another leap 
and you stand in the shoes of Big Willie. Miraculously, you have the ball in your hand as you see your teammate Jim Gilliam screaming at you, what the fuck are you waiting for? As you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul. I hear you got a movie pitch for me. Your water, sir. What is this? Bitch, I asked for San Pellegrino, not fucking Perrier! No need to get excited. Sit up, shut up. My fame precedes me over my career. I played a cop named Starsky. White suits and gold for us, I'm all sporty. Acting's all over, cause now I hit 40. I am advice, no dice. I direct ya. I yo cut. You surrender. Screenplay's pussy come easy to me. This script's a hit, I guarantee. Slick suit, you're the exec, writes the checks. But this movie needs to be made to spec. You may need to bring out the big guns, cause I need 20 million big ones. Rub a dub dub on the sub of the big bye 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 boom box. Twitching in the niches are three wishes for bitches. Boom boom, this bitch will lend us in riches. Rub a dub dub on the sub of the big bye 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 boom box. Twitching in the niches are three wishes for bitches. Boom boom, this bitch will lend us in riches. Thor's got a genie, it may sound common, but fuck Aladdin, he's on the bottom. Blueface Robert Williams ain't no Houdini, he's just a big ball blue bitch genie. Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot one, size 23 shoes, he's the prodigal son. His fame and charisma go along with his stature, his girthy member will bring along the rapture. He's got more magic than Magic Johnson, he's got more air than Mike Jordan. His groovy moves may be unorthodox, but he's my genie in the boom box. Rub a dub dub on the sub of the big bye 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 boom box. Twitching in the niches are three wishes for bitches. Boom boom, this bitch will lend us in riches. Rub a dub dub on the sub of the big bye 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 boom box. Twitching in the niches are three wishes for bitches. Boom boom, this bitch will lend us in riches. Here he comes! The man of the hour, the man on the court, the legend, Shook! <laughs> now this is a story all about how a script got flipped upside down And I'd like to take a minute, just sit and bam I'll tell you how Shaquille became a genie called Kazam Lord crazy everyone <laughs> In East Newark, where I was born and raised At the boys clubs where I spent most of my days Chilling out and maxing, relaxing, all cool And shooting some b-ball for NBA's tools When a couple of guys, whose scripts were no good Offered me some money, so I said I would I signed one little contract and glasses said Wham! We're getting seven million dollars, play the genie Kazam! <laughs> Baby, 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 baby,
Cause I begged and he pleaded for his life that day But they buried him in Santa let him pass away A magic bird came along He offered him a new ticket If Kazam became a genie he could tell death to kick it Magic lamp yo this is bad Spend 5,000 years seven dudes in a glass Is this what genies all be living like hmm, This ain't that alright Dude, the beatboxing is fucking awesome, dude. Oh, wait, here's Max, just a kid and all that. He's afraid to make a wish because he's such a cool cat. I don't think so. I'll get him out of a jam. Then he'll make his three wishes for the genie Kazan. Well, I'm a box landed, and when I came out, there's some dudes coming from Max, and they're calling his name out. I ain't trying to get my master kill, I just got here. I confused him with rap in yellow lightning, I disappeared. <laughs> But when he died, I realized that for this kid I care. So I asked Max's killer and became a gin from despair. I brought Max back to life and I was feeling great. Dematerialized, said, Yo, Max, smell you later. Looked at my powers and I knew with a slam. Now I'm a gin, not the genie Kazam. I love it, man. You're gonna have all the money. You're gonna get all the money. Shaq's gonna draw this shit in, man. It's gonna be fucking great. We're gonna make a ton of money with this fucking movie. I can tell. I can tell right now. I know it. All right. So anyway, so I have a lot more respect for sound engineers recording artists musicians <laughs> rappers everyone after trying to do that because that's a lot of fucking work and it's oh no doubt like shit hate it i hate it so much because <laughs> it just every little detail just like is not perfect and well right it's and you, honestly pretty you can bad hear it when you have something like that yeah yeah but no doubt i mean i don't want to spend my any more ears time on it. To my ears, while it is like a lo-fi kind of thing, you know, it's like low budget and shit, and like this very much is a product of making fun of the fucking movie. It's pretty yeah. good, dude. Like, I, yeah. I like how Lord Crazy is able to bring this in in order to tell the story of yeah. the movie in a humorous way. And like you're beatboxing and like you're fucking like it's so it's so silly, but it like works for how goddamn stupid that goddamn movie or this yeah. goddamn movie is like <laughs> crazy, man. Yeah. But yeah, I chose to make what's his name George. Fuck is his name? The, the director George Michael something. Oh right, right, Cunt yeah. Cunt yeah. He's actually <laughs> he, he actually there's like this heartwarming, like really sad story about him trying to make Kazam as kind of like this gap to bridge his like estrangement from his son after like a hard divorce or something like that wow, and man it's like this really sad story about he his like this really like from the heart project you know like the the kind of passion that you dream of filmmakers trying to make a movie right. about 
and it turned out like the way it did but <laughs> and people have been shitting and, on it <laughs> and honestly it sounds like a nice guy so i'm like portraying him as a like huge cunt but he's probably not <laughs> <it>. <laughs> i did it because it was funnier for him to be an asshole so. that's wild man like i had no idea i thought it was just like a product of the system you know that it was just yeah. like this thing that they were trying to capitalize on Shaq and they didn't know what they were doing and they just kind of like rushed. I mean, yeah, that was part of it, but it was like a passion project that ended up getting made that he probably wasn't really prepared for and or. I'm sorry, man. You know, I know it was a passion project and shit, but that's some shit passion, man. Like, God damn. (laughs) That sucks ass, dude. Holy shit. (laughs) How does that happen, man? Like you, I, I've seen this happen before where like, I'm, I'm trying to think of another movie that's happened where they, I've seen it happen with artists in general, like whether it's a, it's a musician or an artist, like a visual artist, but I'm blanking on any movies right now, but they yeah. like try so hard to make a passion project and it's fucking terrible. Yeah. You're just like, maybe you, or you get, I don't know. It's from some of the interviews that I was reading, he got kind of like tunnel vision while he was directing and lost sight of a lot of the bigger issues and or things Hmm. about the filmmaking process. And so racism wasn't a part of that. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's wild, man. <laughs> I I had no idea. Well, yeah. thank you for educating me on Kazam, man. Like I yeah. would have no fucking idea that that was a thing back in there. <laughs> wow, that that actually boggles my mind, man. That yeah. boggles my mind that that was a passion project and this is how it fucking ended up. How how the yeah. fuck does that happen? Man? How uh, the fuck? Does I that mean, happen? if you look if you look at the themes about Max dealing with his dad being divorced, right? No, absolutely. That. I mean, it's. You know, the framework is in there at least, but yeah. the execution's <laughs> not, that's for sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah. That, I, I thought that this was like just studio rushing it out kind of thing turns into shit. Studio got involved and said, ah, you know, fuck it. The script doesn't really matter. Don't do rewrites <laughs> kind of thing. You know, we're just going to throw yeah. Shaq out here and try to get this done. Pump a bunch of money into it and bum, hopefully. Bum, bum. Yeah. yeah. But no. <laughs> wow, man. So, Paul, give me your first reaction. Had you seen this before? I have not seen it before. Brought me back. Brought me back to the 90s. It's like a little time capsule of a movie. Yeah. Where you've got the, like, kid rappers coming out. <laughs> and, oh, my God. And, yeah, all the white person rap in this movie. It's it's great stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe my rap career can still happen you know maybe maybe <laughs> I, I think it's actually very common for you know white men from or that live in seattle <laughs> that are in their 30s to become major rappers i'm sure that that's a thing <laughs> anyway so well, we paul would... macklemore i mean come on he's kind uh, of a rapper. <laughs> i'm not no i'm not talking about that right now okay so <laughs> okay so paul Give me your gut reaction when you first saw this, man. Like, I, I know that you're just kind of making fun of it. Like, is it the 30th worst movie of all time, in your opinion? Well, my gut reaction was it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So it kind of <laughs> let me down, honestly. 
Like, I think Shaq has a decent amount of charisma that pulls this movie from being a total shit show and a bore. But yeah, it's it's, uh, the whole like drama of the kid and like he's being chased around by other gangster kids that are trying to like extort him and stuff. I'm like, what the fuck is this, man? Right. It's a kid's movie. It makes no sense. Yeah. And Shaq comes out of a boombox. Because <laughs> that's good old-fashioned family racism, Paul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, Paul, this movie, of course, is done by Touchstone, which is Disney. And I'm going to focus, instead of saying Touchstone, I'm going to focus on saying Disney whenever I go after the studio throughout this podcast. So, <laughs> anyway... I like how the opening titles say a film by this guy, Paul Glazer, oh, yeah. whatever his name is. Like, that's something to be proud of. You know? <laughs> I'm fucking confused by that. But, uh, so, what, so was that video that you're watching, did they just take footage that they had and chop it down to like 10 frames a second for all the like title swing. card stuff? Yeah, well, wrecking ball shit, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just like all the slow motion stuff. It's really jerky and <laughs> horrible looking. Yeah, and, it's that, yeah, it's that classic. Uh, it's that classic eight frame per second slow motion oh, nice. in the eighties. You know, yeah. or the nineties, I should say, the early nineties. But anyway, uh, so if if someone did have a lamp shop, right? Wouldn't the neon sign be of a desk lamp and not of an ancient oil lamp? Like, yeah. since it's the it's not the 10th century and they wouldn't have oil Honestly, lamps? Honestly, like I've been thinking that I need a ancient Persian lamp on my <laughs> kitchen table, you know. And so I'm going to see if I can find the local lamp shop, go pick one up. But only you know? go in a lamp shop if they have that lamp on the sign, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, how else would you know that it's... <laughs> Old school lamps versus electric light lamps, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, <clears throat> dude, the sound of the sound of Shaq screaming as the lamp falls is fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, dude, can't Judy, can't genies only be freed by like somebody rubbing the lamp, not by the lamp falling and breaking. Like it, uh, I thought that was the whole fucking thing is that you have to free the genie from the lamp and like a, a thing of circumstance like this. I mean, he's not freed because he goes into the boom box, but I was just confused by that because it seemed uh, like it was taking a huge departure. I mean, according to the most accurate genie movie. thing, a, a genie movie, Aladdin, the <laughs> lamp can't be destroyed. It's like an indestructible object. Right. right. So right. I, I yeah. think this movie is, wrong right off the bat <laughs> yeah no yeah, that's true but dude he uh he gets dragged into a bathroom right and a, the the main kid max and a bunch of latinos beat him up and jack him nice they jack a white kid real nice this is what i'm saying like this kid this kid is like italian and dominican descent the actual actor but like in this movie he plays a white kid and both of his parents are white and I'm just like, come on, man. Like, this is a bunch of Latinos jacking this kid. This isn't okay. <laughs> but that, oh that that on the surface is the least of the racism in this movie. I'm going to get deep into the racism <laughs> later because this movie gets way out of hand Ooh, really quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Anyway, Max's has that, has, that, has that ever happened to you when you were a kid? Were you like chased down by like roving gangs of other no. kids? No, I was like, not. Yeah, I was not no. because yeah. I was beaten up on kids all the time. So it's not entirely inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> so you were part of the roving gangs chasing <laughs> other kids. Okay. Yeah, when I was a kid. Yeah, I see. Yeah, see, my life was avoiding the roving kids because I was white, and I guess because you're Latinx then, or whatever, you're brown. Yeah. So you were <laughs> part of the roving gangs. Okay, I see how it goes. All yeah, right. you know, I was never, I was never part of a gang, but like I liked fighting a lot, and I had these two other friends that I would hang out all the time with that we would fight all the time, and we would pick fights. And would you fight with each other or? I mean, every Just once in a while, but it was like usually other people. We would find people uh-uh. to fight with, and we'd antagonize them. But since since that time period, I don't fight so much physically anymore. I love fighting argumentatively, though, <laughs> which is like where it all yeah, shifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I argue all the time. But anyway, Max's stepfather brings over spite marriage, right? Claiming that Buster Keaton is supposed to be really, really funny and that he's a really, really funny dead guy. But Spite Marriage is hardly his funniest or best movie. Like, I don't even know why he would bring this over. Because, like, even if he's... It's New York, so maybe they have, like, a great video shop, you know? But at the same time, his most popular movie is probably Sherlock Jr. or The General. Like, you can still pick those up, like, anywhere, you know, if you're buying a DVD or a Blu-ray. Wait, wait to fuck up, Travis. Yeah. That's the name, right? Yeah, I Travis. So. I just I didn't yeah. even bother writing down his name because it doesn't matter. But John Castelloni. He was a he was a real life firefighter apparently, <laughs> and he like was acting in this movie, and then he retired from the FDNY, and then he was in The Sopranos for the first two seasons, which I thought was interesting. But oh, that's where I've seen him. Yeah, <laughs> how does he get shot? I, forget. I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen The Sopranos. I need to go back and watch it. Yeah. But it's a it's a good thing that all three fours of this derelict building are lined up in such a way <laughs> that as <laughs> he couldn't hit anything but a soft pile of rags as he falls onto the floor. But yeah, if you look, the second floor that he falls through, he clearly falls perpendicular to the beams, but somehow he doesn't get a concussion <laughs> racking his head on the fucking floor joists as he goes by. Fucking termites, man. Oh, bitch. I'm tired. <laughs> But Shaq rapping as he chases the Latino bullies off is fucking terrible. (laughs) It's one of the worst things that I've ever seen in my life. On top of the fact, that small little moment here of racism, once again, a black genie comes out of a boombox and starts rapping. Big problem with that. But once again, this isn't even the worst of the transgressions in this movie when it comes to racism, which I'll get to later. But anyway, Shaq grunting. Well, his are you own... saying that black people can't rap? Or, no, I'm I mean, saying like... that you don't have to have a black character coming out of a boombox if he's a genie. You know oh, what I mean? uh, yeah, that's what but I'm they just want to be. They just want to be with it, with the times. You sure. Know? And rap was a big thing during this time period. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, Vanilla Ice you gotta had a get career those... during this time yeah. period. So. <laughs> you got to get the kids, man. The kids are all listening to hip-hop. Right. 
But dude, Shaq grunting his own name as he tries to conjure a jaguar is even more impressive than his rapping skills. Like <laughs> he's he's flexing in such a way that it looks like he's trying to take a massive shit from too much Panda Express. <laughs> he's like trying to squeeze it out. But dude, why would a why would a kid like Max have a bumper sticker on his headboard of his bed that says what part of no don't you understand? This is a very different movie having something like that on your headboard. You know what I mean? Especially with Shaq hiding behind telephone poles as he follows Max and hip hop soundtrack says, I'll make your dreams come true. This is a very, very different kind of movie <laughs> just by this little moment. And then he holds up the examiner and it says the headline, we named the Unabomber. And I'm like, is this a fucking kids movie? Like what's happening? There's this guy following him. And there's this creepy fucking like R&B song about like <laughs> uh, someone making your dreams come true as he's like following yeah, this kid in the street. Good. I'm not okay with this. It's pretty much. How do you escape a genie that's like following you when you're a kid though? Like what do you do? I don't know. Man. Do you, I don't know. You scream <laughs> and call him a priest or something and everyone will come rushing to you. I don't know. This was like uh, 90s, mid 90s. So I don't, I'm trying to think of who the worst enemy was during the mid 90s. I guess you could scream out terrorists and run. I, I don't know. But anyway, Max Max goes to visit his absentee father because every 90s family movie has to have the divorced kids story, of course. But Max wanders off to some abandoned warehouse that's full of stuff, especially or supposedly all put together by Max. But how did he get all these lights, ramps, building materials and such set up in this way that he likes? Like, I know that they try to push that he's like an inventor, like he likes putting things together or whatever. But there's like 30 foot diamond plate steel ramps in this fucking place i'm like how did he set this up by himself that's yeah it's pretty sweet pad and no yeah, one's noticed it or found it uh, like, like how many derelict buildings are just sitting around brooklyn that you can just walk into and not set up very many shit? anymore yeah not very yeah. many anymore but i mean this is the mid 90s so presumably there were more but yeah. Uh, I don't think it was like this. <laughs> you know, there's a 60,000 square right. foot, you know, fucking yeah. warehouse. Any warehouse like that and a bunch of art communes would be set up. But, you know, the images, dude, of Shaq trying to ride a bike with his massive frame is pretty hard to watch, but not as hard to watch as the bad <laughs> CGI of his bike being changed into a flying bike. That was, like, really painful <laughs> to watch. <laughs> All right. If you grade this on a curve, like Jurassic Park was three years earlier. Right. But it also had triple the budget. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. The, the CGI isn't, it's cartoony and it's bad, but it's 96. I can't. Right. I can't complain too much about it. You know, I good job, actually, guys. Good job. <laughs> I should have actually looked up this week how much Space Jam was made for because this was the same year. And even though that is like actual cartoony animation, the like CGI where they're like morphing Michael Jordan and shit like that, it's not terrible, you know? Yeah. And, like, I wonder what the budget was on that. But anyway, Max. So, wait, wishes... did they make Space Jam or start and then someone else got wind of it and they're like, we need another basketball player movie because that's the hot shit right now? <laughs> no, Shaxman. it was like. It was like a thing in the early 90s to like mid 90s, just putting basketball stars in movies because you have like 
fucking Dennis Rodman in a bunch of movies during that time period. You got Shaq, you got Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen was in a couple of movies. Charles Barkley was in a couple of movies. <laughs> it was like a thing during the early 90s. Uh, it was okay uh, in order to cast like basketball stars. But Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan and Space Jam was just entirely because it was Michael Jordan and like Michael Jordan yeah. fucking pimp and like he could do no wrong during that time yeah period. yeah but anyway max wishes for junk food to the sky and a bunch of it just rains down but only stacks up to like 10 feet or less but after he walks away like do those food items just rot and sit there because that's pretty fucked up and new york during the <laughs> 1990s was already pretty nasty but i'm like dude he said junk food to the sky and like he only gets a 10 foot tall stack of pizza right? i'm like what the fuck is right? this like, there was a lot of it across the warehouse, but that wasn't to the sky. Yeah, I know. What a jib, right? What a jib. Imagine, Speaking like, of... New York oh. just being covered in a massive pile of food, just rotting. I don't rotting. have to imagine. I've seen it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some fucked up shit living in New York, man. <laughs> But anyway, speaking <laughs> speaking of nasty food in New York, this leads me to my sandwich beef of the week. Oh shit. I want to talk today about Saragina in Brooklyn, okay? They're an Italian restaurant and bakery, but mostly they're known for their pizza, bakery, and coffee items during their non-dinner hours. But they're also incredibly indicative to me of, once again, vast gentrification of Brooklyn, especially <laughs> in Bed-Stuy in the early 2000s and Bed-Stuy now. But that's a whole nother podcast that I won't go into at this exact moment. I want to talk about portion sizes, Paul, okay, and the accuracy <clears throat> of orders. So, all right, so when you think about an Italian restaurant, do they give you a small portion? Do they give you a large portion? It's going to fill you up pretty good. If it's a family Italian restaurant, then you're expecting to eat half of it and then take the other half home, right? But <laughs> right. if it's more of a bougie place, then you're going to order like the prosciutto wrapped melon balls and get one <laughs> for like $10. And, so this is you know. this is sort of like a, a mid a mid grade type place, right? It's not like you know the the dollar pizza slices that you find anywhere in New York, and it's not yeah. you know the place in the financial district that sells a twenty three hundred dollar pizza. It's not that. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's the it's the mid grade, the usual right. like pretty good type shit Neapolitan style pizza. But anyway. Yeah. So, in a COVID-infested world and a state that listens to scientists rather than the reality TV star turned insurrectionist, <laughs> we have had three shutdowns as of now of restaurants in that they went from full service pre-COVID, and then when COVID hit, they went to no service for a month, then to go only, then outside only. And now they're in a fourth phase, which is to go again only. You know, they shut down everything and it's only to go now. But during the to go only time, my wife and I got a gift card to Seamless from her employer. I was craving pasta and thought, I haven't had Saragina pasta, but their bakery isn't bad, so why not? It's not my dime. Fuck it. You know, let's use the gift card on that. So we order it up and I go and pick up my order. Caitlin ordered the prosciutto and fungi pizza while I got the rigatoni alla Alberto and we were going to share the ham and cheese fondue with baguette, right? Two entrees and one appetizer. No big deal, right? You'd be wrong. So <laughs> the, the pizza was accurate and my rigatoni was sort of accurate, but uh, it was the fondue that was especially frustrating. 
What is fondue, Paul? It's liquid cheese with something to transport said cheese into your face <laughs> hole, right? So, but despite being a bakery and despite it being fondue, no baguette or any bread or anything was to be found in this fucking package, right? It was just a bucket of cheese that they gave us. <laughs> so on top of that, on top of that, despite the rigatoni being $21, they gave me a serving size with... I counted it, Paul. Fourteen noodles in it, and maybe an eighth of a cup of bolognese sauce. So, so put yourself in my wow. shoes. It's late. I'm hungry. I haven't been to Saragina in forever because the last time their pizza sucked and was overpriced. But now my meal is essentially free, and they still find a way to disappoint. Okay. So, <laughs> These motherfuckers can't be bothered to check their orders, and they are stingy as fuck charging more than double what any other place in New York would charge for rigatoni. And they give me a serving size that even a fucking child would be disappointed with. <laughs> Look, I know it's been hard on restaurants since COVID, but if Saragina becomes a casualty of COVID, my only sadness would come from those that lost their job, not because the restaurant's not there anymore. <laughs> These guys suck. Their fondue tasted like shit, their pizza was undercooked and thin as a fucking line of coke, and their bolognese tasted like mashed tomatoes with oregano thrown on it. And the worst part, Paul, is that the 14 noodles in my meal were soggy to the point I could cut them with my fucking lips. I didn't even have to bite oh, in order to cut the fucking rigatoni. Wow. A good pasta is al dente, motherfucker. If yeah. you guys weren't so busy trying to gentrify the neighborhood, you would know that. To everyone that <laughs> owns Saragina, go fuck yourself. Eat a sack of baby dicks, you dense cunts. how i am with pasta man like i i love pasta and the idea of fresh made pasta gets me hard but i'm like dude fuck you saragina you can't even get your fucking yeah. cook right like there's no excuse to overcook pasta these days just time it it's done you know like don't even bother <laughs> overcooking it past that anyway so max remarks to shack right after the whole pizza incident and dropping all this food on him Max remarks to Shaq. Shaq's really impatient, wants him to get these other two wishes over. So Max says, until I make these last two wishes, I own you, right? <laughs> Which isn't great optics with a white kid saying this to a black man. <laughs> but Shaq runs across the street in his Jenko jeans, and they sag all the way down to his ankles as he runs in his skivvies. Fantastic movie choice, Shaq. I'm so glad that you picked this movie in order to do your career with <laughs> But dude, DeBrat shows up in this movie. Like, wow, man, talk about a blast from the past. Like, holy shit, she was terrible too. Do you remember DeBrat? <laughs> no, no. It kind I... of blew my mind, actually. I was like, wow, I have not thought of DeBrat in 20 years. <laughs> like, more than 20 years, I haven't thought of DeBrat. <laughs> anyway, so Kazam holds up a boombox and sprays out sparks during DeBrat's concert, right? Oh, yeah. And a jewel falls out in front of. Malik, our bad guy for this movie. And Malik tries everything that he can in order to grab this magic jewel, and his eyes open really wide, and he's trying to grab this jewel. And I'm just like, nice, nice. 
this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to racism in this movie. <laughs> but Malik Malik threatens Max's dad, Nick, for some reason, right? I didn't completely gather this the first time I saw this movie. But the security camera monitor behind him features our favorite effect, which is a camera angle from the movie being played back. <laughs> because the security camera would be looking up from the dance floor at Shaq's yeah. position on the stairs while following him back and forth like it's being operated by a fucking camera operator for, <laughs> I don't know, a movie? <laughs> but bad guy Malik shovels Nubian goat eyes into his gullet like a pig shoveling corn, right? Like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Disney, this is offensive. <laughs> like, and it only gets worse, folks. Is that, wait, did they really call him Nubian goat eyes? Yeah, Nubian uh, goat eyes. That's exactly what he called it. Wow. But Malik... Malik is a pirate, a music pirate that is, uh, has a mustache and a ponytail. <laughs> His monosabellic henchmen with beards speak Farsi while threatening people and beating up white people. Ominous Middle Eastern music is used when they're on screen. And Malik is a glutton and a creep, all in the first 30 minutes. Nice, Disney. Really nice. nice. Gotta set up your villains, Gabe. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna really rail. Did you see Aladdin 2? Jafar's Revenge or whatever the fuck? I think so. As a kid, it's been a long time. Yeah, so the Arab people in that movie have long hooked noses. <laughs> and it's like supremely racist, but, you know, besides the fact. But anyway, so Max helps the Latino kids steal a tape inside of aluminum case, I guess. Not sure what's going on or why yeah. this is important. I, this but... whole part of the movie, <laughs> I don't know what it is, if it's the editing or just the screenwriting or what, but I didn't understand why any of it mattered. I didn't <laughs> care either, so I, I yeah. <laughs> so this movie didn't work for you is what you're saying? Something, I mean, I got that the tape was important for some reason, but the logic behind why everyone cared didn't make sense to me at the right. so. so Max's dad, Nick, couldn't be bothered to stop the elevator in order to grab the case that's got this important tape in it for some reason because it went up leaving some dude alone with the prized possession to fend off the Latino attackers. This is such a weird <laughs> part of the movie. Like, if this is, like, the main thing that he's supposed to do, later we find out it's, like, a tape by some artist that Malik brought in order for to force Nick's dad to, like, pirate it or something like that, like, make a million copies of it or some shit like that. And I I don't understand this. <laughs> so if, I think it's if, like written by a guy who saw some dude selling CDs on the corner one day and was like, oh, my God, that's not Tower Records. That's illegal. <laughs> and then he goes into this whole spiel about where he thinks this whole pirating industry comes from. And yeah, and it ends it's up very like quaint, this. very quaint nowadays. And you're like. I can download anything I want on the internet. Five <laughs> seconds, no middleman, none of that bullshit. <laughs> but. It's great, man. But anyway, it's, so right, wait before we get like, who the fuck lets their kid into a club filled with like cocaine and like all this <laughs> other shit, and like starts introducing their kid to all their cool friends? Right. To I all, mean, all his party buddies. Yeah, all of his party buddies who are probably on multiple narcotics and yeah, yeah have absolutely. raging hard-ons at that very moment <laughs> while they're shaking the kid's hands. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, they go into the fact that his dad is like a scumbag and shit, but like his dad is also like very Italian. 
I'm just like, so what are you trying to say about Italians too? Like, I have a real problem with this overall. But anyway, so in the next scene, Shaq wakes up next to the kid in his bed and makes a ton of noise waking up. But mom somehow doesn't hear this shit. Like, great parenting, woman. Really, really great parenting in New York. But nothing quite compares, though, to Shaq showering in Max's room and cleaning his ears clean through his head with a towel that turns into bunny ears, <laughs> then into a turban. This is just classic filmmaking. I know this is going to go down as one of the best scenes ever made. But seriously, even if you're making a kid's movie, man, like this is a big thing. Even if you're making a kid's movie, treat them somewhat intelligently because there's going to be staying power later from your movie. If you go back and you watch some fucking you know, movie from your childhood that was absolutely awful... As an adult, you're like, God damn, dude, like this is stupid as shit. And then you never want to go back to it and you never want to show it to your kids when you have kids. So yeah. the movie's dead for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and this is exactly what happens. You kill your movie with doing dumb scenes like this. Just like the next stupid yeah. scene, which is the French toast flying around the room over his mom's bent over ass and standing off with Max, who refuses to open his mouth in the next silly and stupid scene. Yeah, no, it's funny if you compare this movie to what it tried to rip off, which is uh, Aladdin. Right. How Robin Williams is like bouncing around. And when you're a kid, you watch it. And it's funny because he's doing all these different characters and stuff. And it's really zany. Ha ha ha. Then as an adult, you're like, oh, shit, that's like Jack Nicholson that he's making fun of. And like, there's all these like hidden references. Little layers, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is just, it's basic as fuck. Yeah. But anyway, so Shaq reveals that he granted mass murder wishes with the destruction of Pompeii <laughs> and that he did 342 years of prison for it, right? Because that's funny. Let's just make fun of Pompeii and crack a joke about that. But the rap off that Max and Shaq get into as Max challenges oh. his rhymes is damn near unbearable, <laughs> especially with their matching outfits. Wait, wait, wait. This is the, the Kazam, we're genie, we genie song. We that genie, right? yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. I did have this trend in 10,000 BC. We discovered a bevy of bathing beauties. So that's the whole story? That's all you got to tell? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. These are, this is a classic song right here. You guys got to yeah. listen to this whole thing in, in its full glory. Yeah. yeah. The rap in this movie is reason enough in order to rent this movie and check it out. <laughs> but, the, Latinos, the Latinos tell Max he has to threaten his dad with extortion in order to get the tape back that was stolen, right? Because apparently there is only one master and it's a cassette, not even a reel-to-reel -reel master. Like, this is something that really doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if they're supposed to pirate this tape of this artist and it's so fucking valuable, like, why is it this cheesy-ass cassette tape that anybody can take at any one time? Wait, like, is it like, tape I thought it was like, like a TV of a no, video. Dude. No. <clears throat> oh, I lost it. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck's <laughs> going on then. <laughs> It was I thought a, that they were like tape. chasing down a video of Shaq doing his sparkles out of the boombox thing. No, 
Because you got you got to think about it. Because <laughs> later on, he does that as his show when he's like headlining. He sprays the sparks out of the fucking boombox. So yeah. that's that's not something that they need to conceal. You know what I mean? What they need to conceal later that I'll get to is the security camera footage looking directly at Max and Shaq as he comes out of the boombox, which is a whole another thing. But <laughs> yeah. So Malik, the bad guy Arab, beats up Max's dad's assistant, right? As some very typical Middle Eastern music goes on as he smokes a cigarette in a silk shirt, holds his prayer beads, <laughs> and his Arab henchman speak Farsi. Like, God damn, this movie gets more offensive with each passing scene when it comes to Arabs. But Malik real reveals that the tape is worth a million dollars, right? And that's supposed to be the main driving force for everyone. But... I'm not sure what's going on here because, like, if the tape's worth a million dollars, he's giving it to Nick in order to make pirated copies of it. So that way he can sell the pirated copies on top of selling the million-dollar tape. Like, I'm I'm confused at what's going on here because yeah. even if he makes a, a bunch of Why does he have tapes, to pirate it to begin with because he has yeah. the tape? I don't, I I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but whatever. But Kazam miracles Max back to school and he lands backwards in his desk where he wasn't previously. His hair frizzed out and him billowing smoke, right? And no one, especially the teacher who looks at him, has trouble with this whole thing that's <laughs> happening. They're just okay with him randomly appearing in the back of the classroom. Oh, Max. That's what he does. Little bastard. <laughs> he just appears randomly. <laughs> yeah, makes but, funny comments, shits on the teacher. But cut back to Malik stuffing his face again with rice and some dicey looking meat that looks like jello doing his one raised eyebrow thing because Disney <laughs> is racist once again. But Max's dad takes him from school, right? This is one of the biggest problems I have with this is that Max takes his or Max's dad takes him from school and Max's mom sees him and yells at him to get out of the car that he hasn't seen him in over a decade and he has no rights here. As he speeds off with Max in the car, right? So if sole custody was awarded to her, then this is fucking that's, kidnapping. Yeah, that's an alert situation right there. <laughs> and a call to the cops would not only get her son back, but also lock up Nick, who is apparently a fucking master criminal that everybody wants to get a hold of for some reason. Especially after him revealing the fact, you know how many cops would love to lock me up? Like... <laughs> I don't get this whole fucking side storyline. Yeah. Malik sees security tape of the boombox and Kazam granting Max's wish to get the tape back, right? And of course, the security camera is once again pointed directly <laughs> at the action of the scene to fill in a key piece of information for the script purposes. <laughs> but as Max shows up to make his third wish, which Kazam can't do... Malik shows up and has a gold chain hanging from his neck and says a bunch of shit about Sultan's gold because he's Arab and apparently that's all Arab people can talk about <laughs> as his hen unshaven henchman makes off with the Kazam boombox lamp, which also black man in boombox he is beholden to all the time. That's pretty racist as well. But... <laughs> Malik threatens to kill Max's dad if Max doesn't make a third wish for him to have all the money in the world, right? Greedy Arab stereotype. Once again, moving past. Because <laughs> now he's an evil, murderous, covetous, gluttonous Arab stereotype that we are just embracing the fuck out of for this kid's movie. 
<laughs> but all this action is intercut with Shaq rapping, right? Like he's headlining and he's rapping terribly, by the way, as Max is throwing <laughs> down an elevator shaft. Like Malik tries to convince. Sha this is a whole nother thing, though. Okay, so like when Max calls out the name Kazam, he keeps holding his ears if it's like some earwig, right? Like he can hear him in his head. But like it's not like it's a turned down earwig like a fucking you know radio that's turned down too low and he's like trying to struggle to hear him like he is bound to him by the fucking like curse or obligation of a genie or whatever you figured that that shit would cut right through whatever he's doing to all the noise Shaq can choose to ignore it because you know he's supposed to be his friend but instead he's a slave owner so yeah you know, you, you know what I didn't look up is actually how many albums Shaq had done. I don't know if he actually had a music <laughs> career during this time period, but anyway. So Max tries, Malik tries to convince Shaq that Max terminated his contract and he is now in control of Shaq's genie character. As all his henchmen stand around and laugh maniacally, as does he. Does he really think that the genie who has been around for thousands of years is this stupid to just take this guy's word that like, oh, Max didn't want his third wish and fucked off. Like, even though his <laughs> wish was like, I want my family back together, essentially. I want my dad to have a second chance. That's not like just a bunch of shit. That's like a very deep rooted issue that Max wants fixed. And like, I don't think the genie would just be like, oh yeah, it makes sense that he doesn't want that anymore. That's fine. I'll just, I'll grant your wishes now. <laughs> like, it's one of those stupid logic problems in this movie. I know I shouldn't be looking at this movie for logic in any way, but, <laughs> but dude, Shaq, Shaq faces off with the henchmen and fights multiple people with his newfound Kung Fu skills, apparently. And obviously misses multiple punches in a very terrible camera blocking where he's clearly not hitting these men but he kicks a guy in the chest as this guy inexplicably falls into a power transform in a basement hint high power transformers aren't exposed behind chain link fences and basements <laughs> just saying but you know the guy fries on the fucking transformer so now kazam is a murderer I mean, I guess he did say all that shit about Pompeii earlier, but still, I want to know how many fucking people Shaq has killed over the last 5,000 years if this is his, like, oh, M.O., just thrashing people. I mean, you gotta... I mean, you've gotta have killed a lot over a 5,000-year yeah. period. I mean, if you want your wishes, you're like, vanquish my enemies. And then, yeah, Shaq just goes forth. <laughs> Kills everyone, and the more people you kill, the more people are your enemies. And right. so you just end up killing everybody. Basically genociding everyone. <laughs> <and talking. laughs> but dude, Malik stands around cackling as all this goes on, saying, I am your master, until Shaq turns, turns him into a basketball as Malik chatters in Farsi and Shaq slam dunks him into an air grate. I don't even know how to start breaking That's this amount. That's the climax of the film right there. That's I don't even know how to start breaking this amount of racism down here. Like, I can't even unpack this. It's so fucking, like... I mean, it's Shaq. He's got to do some basketball thing in this movie. Why you know, not slam dunking the main villain? <laughs> I'll just say I'll just say one word in order to summarize all this racism, and that word is Disney. That's all I need to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
But Kazam finds Max and carries him out, but stops and screams a no that would make Darth Vader and George Lucas embarrassed to watch. It's really (laughs) fucking bad. But Max is dead, right, supposedly. But Kazam monologues how he loves the kid, and Max is his only friend and says that he loves him. Max is really the When did they become soul. friends, though? I don't I mean, know, dude. I don't know. Suddenly, I mean, nothing really changed except Max died. He's still a shit, honestly. So. <laughs> but I think it was, like, Max saying to him all that shit about his dad, about wanting a second chance for his dad and shit, that it, like, melted the genie's 5,000-year-old heart. I think. Uh, but he never, there was never any scene where they emotionally reconcile their, you know, the whole I'm your master, you're my slave thing. Yeah. They never did that. So yeah. I don't see how he's his friend. I mean, maybe he's but, willing to cut but, Max more of a break because he's a kid. I don't yeah, know. I guess so. Or he's, but you know, he, he gets yeah, that's papers, exactly it, so. actually. <laughs> But he starts saying that Max is really the Sultan's gold and that Shaq's eyeline, but like Shaq's eyeline in the scene is staring directly into dead Max's belly button, which I hope he's staring at anyway, as somehow Shazam or Kazam brings Max back to life, grants Max's wish and goes, uh, Jin, which I don't know what the fuck Jin is. It was like his like fucking, you know, mystical enlightenment or something like that like he goes jin and he blows up to a mega sized face right and says goodbye and floats to (laughs) safety and like max floats to safety inside of kazam's giant face like during the scene and i'm just sitting there watching (laughs) this thing and i'm like god damn dude like who how the fuck do you pitch something like this like if you were pitching this script how the (laughs) fuck do you pitch this but if it just so happens that the firefight it's an epic rap song, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. But if it just so happens that the firefighter who saves Max is Travis, right? His stepfather, why not? You know, like it just you know, it's not like New York is a giant fucking borough and this could be anywhere. It just so happens that Max's stepdad shows up in order to save him, like I really didn't get this point. I was like, you know, I I know I'm reading again too much into this, but the coincidence here is greater than anything that I saw in the air I breathe. You know what I mean? Like, it is really fucking coincidental. So while the building burns down behind them, right, near the end of the movie, presumably... Wait, how's the building catch on fire? Uh, when when Kazam kicks that guy into the transformer, oh, like okay. shorts some shit out, knocks over some gas cans, because once again you keep gas in your basement, and just yeah. in case you need to burn the place down. But while the building burns down behind them, presumably after everyone on the dance floor at all got out, I can't think of anything but if Max's dad is a low life music pirate, right? I'm sure his building is not insured, right? And I'm sure that something's going on. <laughs> in it. But so while Max's dad and says, also whenever clubs burn down, everyone dies. Yeah, we all yeah, know this. yeah. We all know how that goes. They keep what the was, doors chained. You know. Yeah. What was that one? What was that one? The most famous one? It was like 130 people died in that club that burned down. You remember that? The one. Yeah. That... There's been multiple incidents <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's yeah. Been bad really bad but anyway so while max's dad says that kazam gave him a second chance right 
all he did was murder all the henchmen and burn his place down to <laughs> business, right? So he murdered all the henchmen. The place of business that he was making his living in is now burned down, and it's probably not insured. But worst of all, he was still led away in handcuffs by the cops in order to pay for his crimes. Like, how did he get a second chance here? If anything, <laughs> he ended up in a worse spot than he was before. Well, now he has a chance to, to see his son to see his son in prison and study the Bible and become a good Christian and be saved <laughs> that way. Instead yeah. of being murdered outright and burning in hell for the rest of his life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But Kazam, near the end of the movie, is seen walking away with Malik's femme fatale character, right? Who, I don't even know her name. I don't want to even bother. But she tells him comedically, like, you're getting a job. To which Shaq turns and looks at Max <laughs> and mouths a job. Like, he doesn't know what that is. So now we are doing Well, no, racist... he says he hasn't had a job in 5,000 years. Yeah. So they're just making fun of the unemployed black man. That's trope. exactly it. Yeah. God damn. God damn. That's, that's your final joke is a goddamn unemployed black man joke. <laughs> Fantastic. Great job, Disney. But we cut back to Max as he laughs and he drinks like that magical hot cocoa that appeared on the streets of New York. Okay. So like his mom mm, and his no. stepdad do not know that Shaq is a genie still, right? But Max, walk, right. walking right between them, walks up and finds a fucking hot cocoa sitting on a sewer grate, and he picks it up, and he smiles. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, like, no parent would let their child drink that. You'd slap it out of their hand and be like, don't fucking drink shit off the street. What the fuck is wrong with you? I know we have problems, and I know I fucked up raising you, but goddamn, you should know better than that. Yeah, yeah. No, this actually leads me to a story real quick. Is that did I ever tell you about that story about when I was in the subway? This was some years ago, but I was on the subway. It was like three in the morning. I think Caitlin and I were coming back from like a burlesque show in Manhattan or something like that. But we're sitting on the train and we're going back home. And as we're sitting on the train, there's this young couple, probably our same age, standing up, like holding onto the pole and they're talking, right, on either side of the pole. But they have this like less than three year old child who's at the bottom of the pole, like holding onto it, sitting onto the ground. And the kid's like looking around. And first of all, I'm thinking, why is this kid out at three o'clock in the morning? This is irresponsible parenting. <laughs> but like the kid's looking around and he like keeps looking at the ground. He keeps looking down, keeps looking down. And so I'm like, I bump Caitlin and I'm like, look, look, what the fuck is this kid doing? He's like looking at something. And so the kid like looks at the ground and he leans over. And I shit you not, sticks his tongue out and licks the floor of the subway. Oh, no. And his parents don't even notice. And I'm just like, oh, God. I was like, oh, my God, that poor child. Like, the child is going to be infected by something terrible. If that child lives, he is going to have the strongest immune system on the fucking planet. I just, I was like, oh, God, I can't even imagine. It's a good thing that this kid is young and he's probably not going to remember the taste of that. Because I, I would imagine that the floor of a New York City subway does not taste very good. <laughs> but anyway, so we we cut back to Max as he laughs about the situation of the fucking, you know, black man that's unemployed and walking away as we roll credits. So, Paul, like, as I'm watching this movie, this is only the second time that I've ever seen it, right? And the first mm -hmm. time that I saw it, I only saw it in bits and pieces. I was like, it was on the Disney Channel or something, and I was flipping back and forth between this and another show that I was watching. Like, on commercial breaks, I'd come over to Kazam. Only yeah. because I like Shaq during that time period. 
And I remember that, like, even watching the clips, I was like, this isn't very good. But having seen it in its entirety from start to finish as an adult, I have no words for what happened in this movie. <laughs> like, no words on how this happened and why it's so fucking bad. Like, it's, like, deliberately bad. It's not even, like, trying to be good in any way. It's just really fucking terrible. And I don't know how that happened. Yeah. How do <laughs> movies like this exist? Uh, cash grab, something. I mean, can't really blame Shaq, right? I mean, I mean, he yeah. made out. He got his money, but yeah, you know, the studio lost twenty-two million dollars, and between this and his other movie, Steel, like they lost almost a hundred million dollars oh, over yeah. a Shaq or on Shaq movies. So I'm like, dude, like, I don't know how he's. I don't know how he's still like acting and shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's just because he is such a name, you know, like he's Shaq. And I'm not going to lie, man. Like whenever I see a Shaq video on YouTube of some random shit, I usually click on it because I'm still like interested in Shaq. <laughs> yeah. But that's like his personal life, like his real life, you know, like Shaq is an actor. If I saw that Shaq was in a movie, I would deliberately avoid <laughs> that movie because I'm like, no, no, I saw I saw Shazam and I saw or I saw Kazam and I saw Steel and like I, I don't need to see either one of them ever again in my life. I think no. I think you might think actually his best work has been for the uh, car insurance commercials lately. You know, that's his career topic. The Wait, what? Yeah. Isn't he in those? I the don't like, remember that. Ultra low budget. Car commercials with the CG, yeah, the four-star general. general guy. Yeah, he's in I, he? I did not know that. <laughs> I mean, that's news to me. Now I'm gonna have to go check it out. So, Paul, looking forward real quick uh, at next week, is there something that you've seen that jumps out at you right away that you think that is uh, interesting? Well, I thought Caitlin's idea for Crossroads was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We need a female uh, voice on this show, you know? So yeah, I've never yeah. seen it, so I don't know what I'm getting into. But <laughs> can it be worse than uh, some of these other movies? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, I just want to reiterate that you are about to watch another movie off of the bottom 100 on IMDb. <laughs> so. <laughs> Are you are you ready for this number one, and are you okay with what's about to happen if you watch another fucking bottom one hundred movie on IMDb? Yeah, I'm all right. I think my <laughs> my soul is dead enough at this point from watching all these movies that uh, I can take it. You know, I was nothing suggest... left to kill anymore. So. <laughs> I was going to suggest Paul that at some point we d we do have to sit down and do Speed Two Cruise Control because that's it keeps coming up and like. <laughs> That's classic right there. <laughs> I was also thinking of doing a Battle Los Angeles. I know that's not on the list, but Speed 2 Cruise Control or Battle Los Angeles, that'd be good too. Could shit on Aaron Eckhart a little bit more. Mm. Yep. Battle Los Angeles, I haven't seen that, so I don't know what I'm getting into. You're getting Some into trip. a lot of nauseating camera work, so you're going to need that <laughs> immediately. Uh, shaky cam, is that what you're talking about here? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, no, that was, was that, like 2010 or something like that? Yeah, I think it was 2010, 2011. Okay, well, I mean, I think I'm down with that. Crossroads, I don't I don't want to, but... You could always uh, visit uh, Burt Reynolds' God. Dom DeLuise movie, Cannonball Run 2. With... 
the incredible amount of racism that's in that movie. <laughs> that is pretty racist. Once again, listeners, that was the 1996 absolute fucking horror show of a bad movie called Kazam, which I do not recommend that you ever see. Kazam. We genies. We <laughs> genies. Please, people, once again, do not watch these movies. Just listen to the podcast. Don't watch <laughs> these movies. It's, just, it's such a waste of your fucking time. We do it for your entertainment. That way you can laugh at us dying inside because we're watching these every week. <laughs> but anyway, once again, this is the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schindel. Thank you guys once again for joining us. Have a great night.